This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Bringing you a common sense and fresh perspective to creating a just society. This is Common Sense on Social Justice. You'll get equipped with the tools you need to carry out social justice right where you are. Now, here's the host of Common Sense on Social Justice, Michael Davis. And thank you so much for joining us. I am so glad you are with us again as we continue our journey through the compendium of the social doctrine of the church, uh, the most important document, even if you are not Catholic, that's actually universal in its appeal in how to build a just society and uh, on many levels. And so we've been working through political community the last four weeks and how that all looks. We finished that up last time. And today we are going to cover chapter nine, uh, which is a short chapter in the compendium on international community, which is going to be an interesting subject for us, and especially in relation to this podcast, which is about um, are we, uh, can we build a just society right where we are in our neighborhood? So then we have to ask the question, how does that fit within the global outlook of things? And uh, especially since this podcast is centered around that idea, how does the concept of international relationships work in to all of this? Uh, The fact is we live in a community of nations, and there are always ways we can work within our own neighborhood, but also within the wider context of the world. Uh, And so we'll talk about how to do that. You know, there are brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering, and we are called to do something about it. But how does that work? We're going to talk about that today. Let's talk about a concept as we begin that will help us better understand our context on planet Earth. And that concept is called God of the Cosmos. God of the Cosmos. One thing that Israel had to realize in their ancient ways is that the one, capital O, the one who was revealed to them and their fathers, such as Abraham and Moses and others, that this one was not the God of Israel exclusively. Uh, They did not have sole possession of the Creator. The story unfolds in the scriptures that God is the Lord of the whole universe. Thus, God, the creator, is over all creation and therefore all nations. Now, this may seem silly for me to say this, but it may not be so silly compared to the way most of us talk and think, especially in religious circles. God is not Hindu. Okay, God, the creator, the one, the first cause of all things is not Hindu. God is not Muslim. God is not Christian. God is not Jewish. God is universal 
and the God of all history. You know, in the Psalms, in the Jewish scriptures, in the Psalms, God is seen as being known to all generations of all peoples. Therefore, the same creator that was worshipped by the ancients in India, in Pakistan, uh, in uh, Africa, in Israel, or wherever, is the same one we worship today in America. So the creator is universal, the god of the cosmos, cosmos meaning the world and creation. Cosmos has a couple different sort of ideas around it. The cosmos could be the universe or it could be uh, the world as we know it. But God is infinite. Therefore, God being infinite, God is outside of time. God has existed forever, for all eternity. But because God is infinite, God is not a member of any religion. You will not find God's name. You're not going to look on the membership rule of a temple somewhere. And on that membership rule, you'll see, you know, John Smith, Michael Davis, God. <laughs> you won't see God written down in the membership rules of a temple. You won't see God in the membership rules of a synagogue or a church or an ashram somewhere under the category name. You won't see God written down in there. Because God does not appear on the membership roll of any religion or group. Because God is infinite and God is God of all history and all people on earth. Therefore, from God's perspective, God sees all of creation and all of the people on planet earth as one. You know, when we we draw maps like of the United States, we can see, you know, where California and Kansas and Minnesota and stuff are because of the lines. Well, God doesn't look on the United States and observe boundary lines of states. God sees his creation as one. Uh, so this informs us then that we live in a world we do not live in a world of nations after all. We live in an international community of brothers and sisters. We all come from spirit, capital S. We all come from spirit, therefore we are all related. All humans are related to each other in some way. From God's perspective, we are not Chinese and American and African, etc. From God's perspective, we are all his children. We are one. And therefore, we have to realize that that is how we need to be informed on how to live within international community. I want to do an exercise with you right now. I want you to close your eyes. Again, unless you're driving, I want you to close your eyes and imagine in detail standing in other parts of the world. So in your imagination, in great detail, imagine yourself standing in different parts of the world and observing humans of other nations. So maybe place yourself in China right now or place yourself in, in uh, Africa or something. And 
observe the people there who are going to work. Maybe some of them are driving cars, some of them are riding bicycles, some of them are on the bus or walking. But observe the people who are going to work. Now, place yourself in a neighborhood in Amsterdam and observe a human working a garden. Now, place yourself in Australia in a neighborhood and observe somebody cleaning their clothes. Maybe you're standing in a laundromat in Australia and somebody's doing laundry. Now, place yourself in Japan. And you're standing in someone's home in their living room in Japan, in Tokyo, and observe the parents raising their children and eating around the table. Now, I want you to place yourself in another, if you live in the United States, put yourself in another state somewhere and observe somebody walking down the street being stressed out. Now, observe somebody else on that same street who's dancing and celebrating. Now go to a different part of the world to a funeral and observe the mourners, the humans who are mourning at that funeral. Now go to another country and observe the people at a wedding who are celebrating a great wedding. You see, we are one. As human beings, we are one. We're all doing the same thing. Now we may practice things slightly different because of culture. And think of things from different angles because of culture, but we're all one. We all eat. We all celebrate. We all mourn. We all go to work. We all have to be transported somewhere for whatever reason, going to work or store. We all shop. We all get stressed out. We all dance. We all go to weddings and funerals. We all raise children. We all work gardens clean our clothes. You see all those things? We're interrelated. It doesn't matter what country you're in or what island you're living on in the world. We're doing the same stuff. Maybe in slightly different ways, but that's just creativity at work there. So this informs us how to relate to each other and how to solve problems and deal with injustices from the standpoint that we are connected internationally. But we do have nations so with having nations, we realize a just society within the international family of nations. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how to relate as nations, because as humans, we have organized ourselves into nations. So how do we relate as nations without, by the way, and this is an important part, and I want you to hear this. And the compendium brings us out, the Pontifical Council brings us out, and it's a very important point. How do we relate as nations without forming a world superstate? That's something we do not want to do. That would be dangerous. Yeah, I know people talk about one world government stuff. You don't want to go there. Trust me on that. Once you have a one world government in place, it becomes impossible to hold that one world government accountable. It's hard enough to hold your national government accountable. Can you imagine trying to hold a one world government that has no competition? You know, now as it is, if the government becomes far too oppressive and corrupt in the United States, you can move to Europe. Say, fine, you're going to act this way. I'm moving to another country who's going to treat me better. So there's competition among the nations for people. 
But imagine if there was no competition for government. Ooh, that would be a sad situation. So how do we relate as nations without forming a world super state? Well, the international community in its just form happens voluntarily and freely. So we've got to understand that first. No nation should be forced or coerced into international community. So that's an important point. We want to work cooperatively as nations, but we have to give every nation the option to opt out. Like, you don't have to be in the cooperative of the international community. And then we want people to, but they don't have to be. And that's an important point that the compendium brings out. And, but the cool thing is, and, and I'm kind of optimistic about this, is that we have a great opportunity to actually get this right, to get nations working together without creating a super state. And that is in the form of the United Nations. Now, you may not be a big fan of the United Nations. The United Nations, like everything else, has humans running it. And when humans run things, well, sometimes bad things happen. But the United Nations, as I've looked into their documents and stuff, I like what I'm seeing in the documents and why the United Nations exists. You know, the United Nations was formed after the disaster of World War II. Now, a lot of people will look at World War II and say, oh, hooray, you know, the Allied powers, they saved us from the Nazis and so on. Yeah, but war is a disaster no matter what. It, so many lives were lost in that and just things, bad things happen when war happens. And so after World War II, rules were put in place. Uh, and so we actually have a chance to get this right, but the UN does have its issues. But when, but again, when humans touch things, they break. So that happens. But if we used properly, the United Nations can actually be a solution to help us relate justly with each other as nations. Think of the United Nations as a tool you know, not as the end. Don't think of the United Nations as the end of the thing, but as a tool to get to working together as the international community. So let's not make the United Nations a power source. And let's not look at the, at the leaders of the United Nations as power players. Let's just see them as a tool that can be used to help unite nations in their, uh, quest to create a just world because that's why the united nations was formed and their founding documents is to create a just world because we realized after world war ii that we were living in a very unjust world so something had to be done now one of the things i would like to see happen and i encourage you to read the, the documents various documents of the united nations but one of the things that i i uh, would like to see a little bit more uh, in the documents of the United Nations is spirituality built into the core of the documents. Now, the United Nations does promote religious freedom for people of nations, so that's cool. I just would like to see a little bit more spirituality. I don't know exactly what that would look like, and I don't expect them to seek my opinion anytime soon on that. So I'm not going to put a great deal of energy into that thought, but I'd like to just see a little bit more spirituality built into that the United Nations recognizing that without the knowledge of the creator, then you really can't have a just world because all true justice comes from the creator who is just towards his creation. Now let's talk about some obstacles. 
Because anytime you try to, to create something that's good, like justice within the international community, there's going to be obstacles in the way. And the, so here's some of the obstacles that the, the um, compendium brings about that we may face. And the first one is materialism. The fact is we are too focused on ourselves and our comfort to even see other nations who are struggling. So the, the world is becoming more and more westernized. You know, I mean, you can go to Africa. And you go to Africa and their skyscrapers look just like American skyscrapers. And their teenagers in Africa are wearing the same Nike tennis shoes and same blue jeans and hoodies that American teenagers are wearing. I mean, it's and the people are working westernized jobs in India and places like that. So the Eastern cultures are really fading in the world and the world's becoming more and more westernized. <laughs> and I don't see that as a good thing. Because both Eastern and Western cultures are good, but one of the downfalls of the Western culture is materialism. The Western culture is so focused on self and comfort and too focused on that to see that other nations are struggling. You know, when I'm in the suburbs of Portland and driving through the suburbs and I see the people at their big houses and tree-lined streets and nice cars and all that, I think to myself, and you know, you can look in their big living room window and see the giant TV on. I wonder to myself, and I'm not judgmentally, I just question. I wonder if these people understand that there are people dying at the hands of war right now as they watch their, live in their comfort. I wonder if they know there's people literally drawing their last breath because they starve to death. I wonder if they know that there are people who have experienced earthquakes today and their lives are shattered. Do they know and do they care? But see, materialism keeps us from seeing the need to help our brothers and sisters. So that's an obstacle that needs to be overcome. Another one is nationalism. The compendium brings this out, that nationalism is an obstacle to seeing justice in the international community because we are too focused on our own issues as a nation, and we're too focused on empire building to see other nations. So we see ourselves as superior and no need to learn from others. You know, I, I, and living in the United States, you have the great opportunity to see people from all over the world, especially where I live in Portland, Oregon. You know, there's people from every country and every language here. I mean, there's parts of Portland. I frankly don't know what any of the store signs say because they're in Vietnamese or something. And it's like, I, some of them are in Russian, like whole neighborhoods where all the signs are in Russian. I'm like, I can't understand anything, and I'm in the United States. I can't read their own signs. But that's beautiful, and that's good. But the problem is, or what I've discovered, is I get to talk daily to people from other countries, and I've noticed a tendency of all humans. It doesn't matter where you're from, is we love to brag on our homeland. If I'm American, I love to brag. America's a great place, you know, and I hear people from Afghanistan tell me how great it is, you know, and people from India, they love, if you're from India, listen to this, I, I one of you guys, you know it, you love to brag on how awesome India is. And it is awesome. These countries are awesome. They're great places. Even if they've got current issues they're dealing with, they're still good places. But what we tend to do as humans is we tend to give ourselves to nationalism 
And so we see ourselves as superior and we don't see the need to listen to other nations and learn from other nations. And that can be our downfall. And so I was talking to a friend of mine who's from India and we were having a sort of bantering around with each other about what's better. You know, I was, I was taking the role that America is better than India and they were taking the role that India is better than America. And then we switched roles. And in that conversation, we realized that what America could learn from India is how to make knowledge of God the very fabric of your society. And then what we realized is India could learn from America how to build a plastic bottle for your water. <laughs> they were telling me that in India, they know how to pray, they know how to worship, they don't know how to make the lid fit correctly on <laughs> a water bottle. So we were laughing about that, like America could contribute knowledge of how to build those kinds of things. India could teach America how to worship God, you know. And that's the beauty. See, once we listen to each other, we realize, oh, the other nations have something valuable to contribute to the international community. And then finally, a third one just to mention is racism. Racism is an obstacle to the international community. Now, I'm not talking about racism as Americans tend to think about racism. Americans always think of racism as white versus black. All right. I'm talking about in international racism, it doesn't, it's not based on skin culture or skin color, but on nation of origin, you know? So it could be a black African from Kenya being opposed to a black African from Tanzania. It could be something that simple, racism. In other words, our country is superior and we don't need anybody else. And everybody else is wrong or weaker than we are or dumber than we are, you know, those kinds of things. And on the international level, we have to be very careful to overcome the, the mindset that our culture is better than your culture. You know, you think of the Germans and the British being opposed to each other. Why? Because they're from different nations and they each think that they're better than the other. We have to knock that nonsense off. And realize that we all have something to contribute. And then a fourth obstacle I want to propose to seeing true justice in the international community is a lack of spirituality. Lack of spirituality. As our world becomes more secularized, we end up more divided. Why? Because Satan divides, God unites. So if your nation is united and working with others, then... That nation is one who has submitted to God. But if your nation is divided and not cooperating with others, then that means your nation has submitted to Satan. That's, that's an easy formula that history has proven. So with that in mind, let's move on to the next thought. Then how, where does the church's role come in to the international community? I want to talk about the word Catholic for a minute. The word Catholic means universal. So with that in mind, it, Catholic is not actually a separate religion. Uh, it's actually, the church is actually a gift that God has given to the world to shepherd the world 
spiritually in its journey uh, towards uh, towards God. So the church is actually to work with the nations to guide them into realizing God's vision for the world. So really, there actually shouldn't be uh, separation of church and state. Now, that doesn't mean they're both doing the same thing. There should be a separation of roles. The church is performing this role among the international community. The, the governments are performing this role over here. But they're working together, and the church is actually the shepherd that keeps reminding the governments, this is why we're here. This is why God has created us. This is what we're supposed to be accomplishing. So the church always guides and by the way, the, the church is not a building, and the church is not an organization. The church is people. It's just the people. That's what the church is. And the leaders of those people, the church leaders, should always be giving themselves to guiding the nations towards the creative order. Because the church is universal. It doesn't have boundaries like religion does. Religion often has boundaries, sometimes national boundaries, sometimes political boundaries or whatever, but the church is actually universal. The church, Jesus called the church leaven that works through the whole bread. And the church is that leaven in the world. It works its way through the whole world. So the church is actually belongs to all languages, all cultures, all people, all nations and acting as the shepherd, the guide in creation. You know, there's lots of popes, lots of saints who, who spent their time helping the nations. And I really encourage you to watch a good documentary or read a good book on Pope John Paul II, who is now Saint Pope John Paul II. But Pope John Paul II, who lived in our lifetime, he just died in, I think it was 2005 is when he died, but he was Pope from 1974 to 2005, and Pope John Paul brought down communism throughout Europe. He was very, very involved in, in the works of the nations and helping them and guiding them. He was a shepherd to the nations. That's a great example, Pope John Paul II, of what the church is supposed to look like. Now, let's talk about one last thing here that's, or two, two more things. But this one's one that the compendium brings out that I thought, okay, I need to talk about this point. Because there's a real problem within the international community, and it's cr creating more and more injustices among the nations, and that is poverty and neocolonialism. So the international community has an obligation to help the poor nations. You know, the developed countries have an obligation to help those nations who want to develop further. By, by the way, I don't, I don't believe in the philosophy that all nations should be what you call developed. You know, because this is, and this is a word of caution I want to give you right now because it's a gray area. But being a developed nation means a nation who has worked out laws to ensure justice, food security, and st family stability into the fabric of that society. Now, all nations should strive for that. But too often, what we've done is we've said a developed nation is one that's figured out how to build a bunch of skyscrapers and fancy homes and neighborhoods for everybody. 
that doesn't need to be a goal for all nations. A, a true developed nation is a nation that that has worked out laws to or rules to ensure justice, food security, and family stability, and so on for its citizens. That's a truly developed nation. And so what the nations who, who have become developed in that should do, and they have an obligation, is to help other nations develop that. Now, it could be that a nation doesn't want to have concrete jungles necessarily. We have to w be careful not to westernize the other nations. You know, this has happened to India and Kenya. I've seen it, and it's sad. It's done harm to these nations to westernize them. We have to help nations develop into secure countries without harming their culture. So we got to be very careful in the international community. We're going to help nations become secure without harming their culture. And that's where colonialism and neocolonialism has caused great harm. And the British, of course, were the biggest instigators of colonialism, but America is not far behind. In that. So we have to be, here's the problem too with the poverty among the nations is that neocolonialism comes in and through its, its oppression and through its, its desire to extract resources from the nation has taken over. Then when it leaves or is kicked out, for example, what the British come in extract the resources from a rich nation, they leave or get kicked out, and then they leave that country in poverty. It happened to India. Once the British left, I mean, India was robbed, blind. So neocolonialism has caused poverty to nations that had nothing to do with it. And now people are suffering who had nothing to do with the problem. And so we have to be very careful to, to not colonialize nations it creates injustice now let's finish up with the question that should be on your mind and that is how do we live in international community while building just society in our own neighborhood so how you know how do you do that how do you focus on creating a just society in your neighborhood and then we from that live in the international community. And there's five steps to that. First of all, be aware through, uh, through faithful sources of what is going on in the world. Now, last week we talked about media <laughs> and what good and bad media looks like, but use faithful sources to get your information. And through those faithful sources, find out what is going on in the world as a neighborhood this all works out within your neighborhood. Secondly, volunteer for organizations who help with disasters. So you as a family or an individual and bring along some of your neighbors and get involved with a, an organization that maybe like Red Cross or something like that, that helps others who are dealing with disasters. So in your neighborhood, you've got a group of people that were waiting on a phone call. There was an earthquake in Japan and people have lost their homes. We're ready to fly to Japan as a neighborhood and go help. See, you're working justice within your neighborhood while being involved in the international community. Third, 
Third step is work with or for organizations who are helping other nations. So get a job. Maybe even if there's one within your neighborhood or close proximity that actually that job is part of an organization that helps other nations. Fourth, start in your neighborhood. This is very important. Start in your neighborhood, get that right, then expand slowly outwards. Because there's no real need to help another nation if you can't even get justice right in your own neighborhood. So create a just society in your neighborhood and then move out slowly from there into the international community. And then fifth, mobilize your neighborhood to send resources to areas of the world where it is needed. So, for example, organize fundraisers in your neighborhood to send money to people who are doing the work in these poor areas of the world and solving injustices. So maybe there are people who are working in a country in South America that's suffering from poverty. Those people are already doing the work. So your neighborhood could have a fundraiser for sending the money to continue to support those people's work and hold regular neighborhood meetings to discuss what's going on around the world and come up with a solution for your neighborhood that's doable. We can help out with this problem in the world right here. It could be a small part, but if everybody in their local area is doing that, suddenly we have a critical mass happening. Technically, we are all one race the human race. What we call races is merely either skin color difference or cultural difference. And all cultural differences are just creative ways of looking and doing things a little bit different. But technically, when it comes to race, there's only one race, the human race. And we must realize that nations should only exist for the purpose of organization and creativity. One nation could be creative at one task of creation, while other nations are creative at their own tasks in creation. And then together, we are able to accomplish the entire task of creation for which we are called by the Creator. One task that all peoples are called to is family. It's so fascinating how uh, various cultures approach family. So, for example... Uh, in Eastern cultures, it's uh, quite common for uh, the, the, the older generation to retire from their careers and to live with one of the children, usually the oldest son and his family. And then the older generation, the parents now retired, their job is to help around the house and help with the children so the kids can go to work. You see, so the ch the parents or the grandparents are actually live-in childcare. So instead of spending an insane amount of money on childcare, the grandparents live in the home. Their kids go to work and they watch the grandkids while the parents are at work. So you see how that all works. So that's a beautiful way of approaching family as a culture, and those cultures tend to have a far less amount of divorces because there's supports in place. If 
you're struggling in your marriage, the whole family gets together and supports them and tries to figure out the problem. Now, in Western cultures, it tends to be a lot of highly individualized people, and that's not a bad thing in and of itself. People who know how to get things done without having to, to heavily rely on others. We always have to rely on others. It's just the way of being human. But, yeah, so you look at all these various cultures and the way they approach family. In Western cultures, they may um, approach family like the parents are available for backup, but they live somewhere else because the Eastern cultures, I've heard people complain from this, man, my parents are always up in my business because they live with us. So that's a downfall. But an uptick in the Western cultures is they're not always up in our business, our parents. We can raise our families on our own, but we can have them there as backup. Hey, we need you. Hey, would you watch your grandkids so we could have a break? or so we can do this thing, whatever. Yeah, you know, so there's all these various ways of approaching family and goals for family, the way you meet and function together as family is just different. It's creative and it's good how different cultures approach family, but no culture is complete in itself of how to do family. So what if cultures and nations taught and supported each other and having strong, good, and healthy families. Can you imagine the benefits that would reap? Maybe in your neighborhood, some people could travel to other countries and observe how they do family and come back and show the neighbors how they did family and, and through incorporating various means how to do family, we end up with amazing families because we're using our own culture but we've learned through other cultures how to do that as well. And what if we adopted families from our neighborhood? What if we adopted families from other nations not to help them, but for them to help us? And together, maybe through emails and visits, we support each other to have strong families. You see how that all works together? International community emailing families in other co countries and cultures saying, here's what we're doing with our families. What are you doing with your families? And together through maybe occasional visits to each other's country through emails, we end up supporting each other and having a more complete way of doing family and family's just one way, you know, maybe there's other issues in culture. We could do that same connection on the international level. So that. Within international community is how you create a just society right where you are and right where they are. You've been listening to Common Sense on Social Justice with your host, Michael Davis. A common sense and fresh perspective to creating justice where you are. Share your comments and questions with Michael by emailing sjcommonsense at gmail.com. That's sjcommonsense at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.